All right, everyone have a seat and settle back. If you brought your Bible, you're going to be thankful because you get to use it today. If you didn't, then you can just pull it up online on your phone or whatever because we're going to be digging through some scriptures. Um, We're in the season of Lent. And Lent is a time for serious soul-searching and self-examination. And this morning, we're going to dig into the Bible as a part of sort of like soul-searching and examination. We're going to ask ourselves during Lent, am I an authentic Christian? Am I the genuine article? Am I the real deal? Am I a serious-minded Christian? Could anybody bring evidence against me that I'm a Christian? Do I look like Jesus at all? Lent imitates the 40 days that Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, went, was led out into the desert by the Spirit into the wilderness, and he was tempted. And in that temptation, he had to decide who he was. Who is he going to, to uh, pay his allegiance to? God the Father or to Satan? Who will he worship and bow down to? And that's what we're working on uh, this morning. We want to imitate Jesus in his 40 days in the wilderness during this Lent as we head towards Easter as a great celebration. So we want to ask this question, am I serious about Jesus and what would that look like? So I want to zero in on one specific thing that I think is, is gone wrong in the type of Christians that we are around here at Lakeland. Um, if you don't know it, like it or not, we're probably called evangelical Christians because we believe in the Bible and we believe that other people ought to know about the gospel. So we're evangelical Christians. But I think we, we've made a mistake on one critical concept that's all throughout the Bible, and it's a word called righteousness. And if I say righteousness, you're like, well, yeah, I know what righteousness is. That means you're right. Uh, you know, whatever. Um, well, not so fast. Okay, because we're going to explore it in all sorts of uh, depth here, hopefully, this morning. So this is like a Bible study. I even gave you, because of the work we have to do this morning, I gave you most of the scriptures on here. You can look them up in your own Bible. Turn to Psalm 85 or bring up Psalm 85 in your own, or you can look at it on here. I would have done the whole psalm, uh, but we have to uh, chop it down here a little bit because it's a beautiful psalm, and it's very compact and uh, works very well. So... Psalm 85, and so let's begin Psalm, the 85th Psalm in verse 8. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his faithful, to those who turn to him in their hearts. Surely his salvation is at hand, at hand for those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground, and righteousness will look down from the sky. The Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. I'm zeroing in on verse 10. Uh, Steadfast love and faithfulness um, will meet. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. I find the poetry and the imagery, uh, first of all, very catching. You know, that it's just this beautiful idea of something like righteousness and peace embracing and kissing each other. It's like two lovers who haven't seen each other at least for a couple hours, and they run together and they embrace. All you guys who've been married for 25 years, you know exactly what that's like. Um, 
And so uh, what, we're, what we see here is this imagery, and there's also this other imagery of the ground, all right, which is in the next verse, in verse 11. That faithfulness is like a crop coming up through the soil, which we can all understand this, this time of year as the, you know, as the winter wheat starts to come up, and then the sun comes down and warms the earth from above. And that would be the other uh, concept on that whole thing, where the faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. And this is the sort of imagery that's going on here in this psalm. So, you know, finally, righteousness and peace meet, right? And we're all like, well, that's great. That's nice. That's a cool picture. I like this righteousness and peace kissing. That's a, that's a cute picture. Thank goodness. Uh, what, what's righteousness? <laughs> you know, I mean, does it just mean that we're correct, that we're right, that we have rightness? What's it mean to be right? Is righteousness simply being moral? Now, when we say the word peace versus righteousness, when we say peace, you know, if you're even faintly around the Bible or something, you'll know that this is the word in Hebrew, shalom. And lots of people who even aren't even Christians or Jews have the word shalom tattooed on their body somewhere. You know, it's a beautiful concept. Shalom, we all understand. Righteousness is hard to understand, but shalom is, it means, at least it means, shalom means peace, means no more war. And that would be, you know, Pax Romana. The Roman peace, the peace of the Roman Empire, meant an absence of war, which is what most husbands think in the household, which means as long as the kids aren't fighting and nobody's arguing, we have Pax Romana, we have peace. But actually then when you talk to the wife, you realize that that has nothing to do with whether or not there's peace in the house. It's whether or not we're all talking, not just an absence of conflict, but is everybody, you know, talking. That's real peace. That's shalom. Shalom means that everyone's getting along. No, shalom means that everyone is prospering. Shalom means that everyone has enough to eat, has a roof over their head, that they're warm, that there's no conflict in the village or in the culture, in the nation, in the society, that the sheep lie down. Everyone is at peace, not just an absence of war or conflict. We get the shalom concept. That seems to be easy. It has something to do with prosperity and everybody getting along. But righteousness is such, I think it's a difficult concept to understand. We just say like, yeah, uh, yeah, righteousness. You know, like Ferris Bueller, yeah, he's a righteous dude. You know, I mean, it's just righteous. And that's how we tend to think about it. Hebrew for righteous is sedek or tzedakah or sedeka, Or if you believe breaking up is hard to do, it's Neil Sedaka which is, will work just fine. So I'm convinced that righteousness has fallen on hard times. And it's become watered down and narrowed down to just meaning moral goodness, and I'm out to fix that here. Nowadays, to be tzedakah, or uh, tzedakah, is to be morally or legally correct. But besides moral rightness, tzedakah has two other definitions, justice and charity. And I believe that's on the study sheet under definition of righteousness. Besides being morally correct, there is justice and charity to get a full understanding of what it means to be righteous. In other words, sedeka does, does indeed mean moral correctness, but moral correctness looks like justice and charity, not just being correct. 
So these days, when we think of justice as that classic statue of justice, you know, Lady Justice in front of the Supreme, Supreme Court building, you know what I mean? The blindfolded one with the wet drape thing, like who let her get out of the house with that on? But she's blindfolded and she's holding up a pair of scales, and the scales happen to be equal. Isn't that our concept of justice? Well, keep in mind now that that picture that our country used from day one to think about the court system actually comes right out of the Bible, and it's there on your study sheet. It's out of Leviticus 19, verses 35 through 36. And it says this, You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measurement of weight or capacity. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, in other words, a dry weight, a bushel, a just hen, or in other words, a wet weight, a gallon, a volume, a capacity. I am the Lord your God who brought out you out of from the land of Egypt. That's where this imagery comes from, right there. And the word there, just, and judgment and so forth, is tzedakah. Okay? The funny thing is, is that in modern times, Bible translators have ignored the word just when translating tzedakah, and instead... If you'll find like in the, the, my favorite translation, New Revised Standard or the New Living or even the New International Version, you'll find that they've translated this um, as accurate or honest. You shall have honest measurements. You shall have accurate measurements. And I think it's actually uh, doing a disservice to the original meaning of the biblical idea of righteousness. It doesn't really have much to do with that at all. I mean, it has somewhat to do with it, but it's not the real the full explanation of the thing. Sedeca's legacy has a lot more to do with being good, meaning good relationships, kind of like shalom. It's relational to be accurate. The Old Testament law, what's called the Torah, was always more about how to run a society. How should everyone get along? That's what the Torah, the Torah, means to say. And that's what we find here, not only just with shalom, but also with tzedakah, with righteousness. The Torah was always about that. It was never meant to be, righteousness was never meant to be like we're reading some legal codex or some legal book, like we're reading some sort of, you know, section 85, whatever, out of the IRS manual. It was never meant to be like that. It was always about how are you going to to do your dealings with each other all day long? So remember now, there are two other definitions to Sedeca righteousness besides correctness. And I just tried to explain justice. And then the other one then is charity. All right? Now, just real quick, on the justice thing, always get the notion there from Leviticus. What's it talking about when it talks about just scales and balances and weights? Picture yourself in a marketplace. Nobody's cheating each other. It's not that somebody's reading the legal book and writing tickets. It's that everyone's getting along. Nobody's cheating. You hear the relational component to it? Be fair in your dealings with each other. When you sell rice and beans, make sure your weights are right. That's fair. Okay? The charity part, then, comes in with the same sort of attitude. The same sort of thing is going on in this charity. The full understanding of tzedakah we, we have to explore this charity that is more like almsgiving. Thank money and almsgiving. Charity. Brothers and sisters, according to the Bible, if a society wants to be righteous, 
then they must be moral, just, and charitable. All three. Not just moral or correct. It takes all. There's an Old Testament commentary on the Torah, on the Torah, and it's called the Talmud. Maybe you've heard of the Talmud. The Talmud is a collection of commentaries on the law in the Old Testament put together by the rabbis. It's actually still going on today. But the classic thing went on for hundreds of years after Jesus and onward was the Talmud was being created. And it's a sort of like add-on, you know, commentary, running commentary on the Old Testament, like on that passage on Leviticus. For instance, in the Talmud, the rabbis would add comments when you get around to saying like, okay, the commandment that says you shall not work on the Sabbath. Great. What do you mean by work? Well, the Talmud will get it down to saying this, like, look, here's what we mean. You can tie half a granny knot, but you can't tie the whole granny knot because that's considered work. And you're like, oh, brother. They were after, though, holiness, doing things right. That was important. Still is, actually. They're actually not trying to get by with something as much as they're trying to call people to say, be holy. That's what the Talmud's really all about. It's really quite severe in times, at times. The Talmud's full of these details and minutiae about how to understand and interpret the Old Testament. All right? Jesus at times sounds like the Talmud, or really the Talmud begins to sound like Jesus. Remember, Jesus is called a rabbi during his days when he's doing his ministry. So he certainly would sound like this sort of thing. Like, look there on your study notes. There's Matthew chapter 6, verse 3. See if this doesn't sound like the Talmud. But when you give alms, Jesus says, do not let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. That sound like it? How about this one from Jesus? Or how can you say to your neighbor, friend, let me take out the speck in your eye, while you yourself do not see the log in your own eye? Sounds like sort of an interpretation of the Old Testament law, which is exactly what the Sermon on the Mount, where this comes from, is. Jesus is reinterpreting the law, and he got in huge trouble for it. Here's how the Talmud, then, describes tzedakah. And I'm just going to read these examples to you. I put them in print there for you because they're sort of thick and a little hard to understand and, and weird. Rav Abba. Rabbi Abba. Rav Abba walked among the paupers with an open money pouch slung over his shoulder so that the poor could help themselves without his seeing who they were. Baba Batra 10b in the Talmud. But another rabbi came along and made a comment on, on Rav Abba saying this. You know, the highest form of charity is if the paupers don't even know who it is who's giving them the money. Total secrecy. Not a money pouch slung over your shoulder where you can take whatever you want. Like, oh, thank you, Rav Abba. Like, no, 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 you don't even know who it is. Okay, here's another one. Whenever Rav Huna sat down to eat, he would open the doors to his house and his servant would announce, whoever's hungry, let that person come in. Every time he ate, open the door, servant would go outside, Everyone needs food, come on in and eat. Pretty radical charity, huh? This isn't far from Jesus' teaching, is it? So you can hear this sort of Talmudic, this sort of rabbi interpretation on the law right here with Jesus. Luke chapter 14. But when you give a banquet, 
Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Righteousness always has to do with almsgiving and charity and providing for the poor. Not just accurate, exacting weights or even balanced scales. This is the thing I think we've lost in our modern understanding of righteousness. The rabbi's Talmud pushes this understanding of tzedakah as charity to the extreme. The giver, that, that giving, they would say this, that giving should never, ever insult the poor recipient. The Talmud gives numerous examples of politeness towards the poor in order to avoid humiliating them. Rav Jonah, when he gives a sum of money to a poor man whose family was once respectable, says this in the Talmud. Okay, so pay attention. It's on the sheet of paper. This one's a little difficult. I got to do this. Sorry. I heard that you were going to receive an inheritance somewhere in a foreign land. And I've come to offer the sum, which you'll pay back to me in the future. You get it? I know you're going to get an inheritance. It's coming from some foreign place. I, I, I know that. I'm going to give you the money in advance. When you get the inheritance, you pay me back. Is there any inheritance coming? No. Foreign land? No. The politeness is, is he brings dignity. Now, notice that this was actually, he's doing this to a, to a family who actually was well off at one time. So in order to maintain their well-off status, he plays along. Another place in the Talmud, it says, a respectable man became homeless. He was used to riding on a horse. So one of the rabbis actually got out and ran in front of this man's horse, gave him a horse, and then ran in front of it to announce that he's coming like they would do in that day. The rabbi, doing the most undignified thing that a rabbi could do, which is hike up his robes and run in front of a, a a man who was once rich. On a horse. Like what? Dignity, everyone, was so important for the poor. Very important that they would go to extremes. The Talmud is emphatic. Never, ever shame the poor. The poor should never be put to shame by receiving charity. And it says, the one who gives demonstratively, in other words, with show and fanfare, to a beggar, and therefore shames him, is in reality cursing the beggar. And it curses the one who does it as well. We had um, a uh, charity expert in a few years ago, um, a man from Atlanta, Bob Lupton. Bob Lupton wrote a book called Toxic Charity. And uh, Bob came in, and we just wanted him to look at all the stuff that we were doing around here. And Bob said this. He said, you know, uh, and not to get too finger pointing or anything about the whole thing. He says, you know, like when all, because Bob's done all this sort of thing. He's a white guy from Atlanta. He says, you know, like when all of us white suburbanites go down to the inner city at Thanksgiving and deliver all of our turkeys and groceries and so forth, he says, how come there's never a, a man in the house when you show up? How come it's just the kids and the aunt and the grandma and the mom? He says, I'll tell you why. They just stepped out the back door. Because when you show up with your turkey and your Thanksgiving, what you communicate to that man is, 
You're a lousy provider. You can't provide for your family. And he didn't want to be there for that. Like, ah. When we go around the world and we build things for poor people, instead of just giving them the money and allowing them to hire their own people, we shame them in a certain way. Now, I'm only pointing the finger at myself because back when I was in the business world, back in the 80s, you know, in my 20s, and I thought I had the world by the tail. And uh, we were down in Haiti at an orphanage. And we're building a wall around this orphanage because about every three months, a little kid, a toddler, would wander off and fall into the open sewers and die. So, like, building this wall was a really critical deal. And they'd hired some Haitians to build a wall. And then all of us volunteers were coming in. We were going to help, too. So, you know, being, let's just say the Dan that I am, I... For three days, we've been picking up big rocks and carrying them to these various stations where we're building the wall. Nice, nice, nice. I thought, this is ridiculous. So I went over. I got the Datsun pickup that was sitting there, which was all beat up. I said, okay, everybody. Just got my take charge and it's going on. Okay, everybody, load the pickup up with all the rocks. And we're like, okay, okay, okay. I go, trust me, this is going to be a lot easier. And so then I went way over to the far end of the property put the pickup truck in reverse and gunned it back towards the wall that we were building. Slammed on the brakes. All the rocks go flying out the back of the pickup. There. There's your pile of rocks. No more carrying these rocks all day long. We get this thing done now. Until I looked over to the two Masons that we'd hired, the two Haitians, and they're looking at me like, you just put me out of a job. Yeah, but we got the darn wall built. See what I mean? not dignity. Big lesson. All my friends made fun of me for that for years. Still do if I'd probably run into the right ones. Charity cannot bring shame upon the poor. And that's where secrecy comes in. All of the Bible's commentaries I read on righteousness on Sedeca include charity in their definition. Charity is a form of justice. One commentator states that sedeca has the same meaning as the Greek word that we use, agape, love. That sedeca and agape, this word for love, are the same. That, that love or the compassion for one's neighbor from God. The sedeca agape connection translates into a very practical, loving charity of one's brother and neighbor helping provide for the poor, establishing a form of justice and fairness in society. Now, curious to me then, in our modern understanding of righteousness has become selectively narrowed down just to mean accurate or correct instead of giving and charity and money. Don't you find this curious like I do? Don't you? I I think I know why. Could it be, could it be that we have selectively narrowed down the idea of righteousness to simply mean accuracy because we don't want to take our wallet out of our back pocket. Could it be that? We like to keep our money. And so it's easy to just keep righteousness as some sort of legal definition. 
So righteousness not only means moral correctness to be accurate, but it also means justice and charity. And by justice and charity, we mean almsgiving. That's the idea I wanted to get done today. This is the idea that when we give away money, it's not us who bless the poor, but the poor bless us. The well-off are needy, and they need the poor. You find this idea in Jesus when he says these famous words out of Matthew chapter 16. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? The poor, on the other hand, do they have anything to forfeit? No. They're at the bottom. Nothing to lose. The poor are in the place then of spiritual privilege. (laughs) They're blessed. And the rich, on the other hand, have everything to lose. Everything to forfeit. Every time I read this passage, I think of going to the lake and uh, with the kids. And, you know, you put the inner tube out on the water hopefully a big inner tube, and you play king of the hill, right? King of the inner tube, right? You ever done this sort of thing? It's a pretty simple game. Uh, yeah, it's, there's one person who gets to win, and they get on top of the tube. All the other kids are around the tube, and they're trying to pull the one kid off the top of the tube. Now, every time I see this and participate in this game, I always think, you know what? I think it's a lot more fun trying to pull the guy who's on the tube already off the tube. That's actually the funner job. If you're the guy on top of the tube who won, you've got everything to lose. All that's ever going to happen to you eventually, and it does always happen, is that they pull you off. 18, you know, 7-year-olds pull off the one 17-year-old. It always happens that way. Everything to lose. You see the analogy here on the whole thing? It's like king of the hill. Who's blessing who? Who has something to lose? All right, so where does this leave us? If you want something to chew on for Lent, then I would suggest gratitude. Gratitude is the proper attitude during Lent for people who have something to forfeit and lose. Last year, I think we all started putting post-it notes on the kitchen wall, you know, and you had to make your kids and yourself write things you're grateful for. I'm grateful for spaghetti, you know, I'm grateful for my phone. I'm grateful for my, you know, backpack. I'm grateful for my phone. I'm, I'm grateful for my, you know, meatballs. I'm grateful for my phone. You know, and that's what's going on on the wall. That's the right idea. It's not too late to start. If you need to do that, start putting post-it notes up all over your kitchen cabinets. By the end, you know, it becomes like the wailing wall in Jerusalem or something like that. Everyone's got post-it notes all over the place. We color-coded ours. Go get that color's for you and that color's for ours. I think we did that. Did we do that? So that's the way it kind of worked. Gratitude. I've, I'll leave you with this story. One of my favorite authors from years past was Brennan Manning. Brennan Manning wrote a book called Ragamuffin Gospel, which is a classic. And if you haven't read Ragamuffin Gospel, you're missing out full of stories like this one I'm about to tell you. Brendan Manning, ex-Catholic priest, alcoholic. I would say ex-alcoholic, but I understand that's not the right way we all want to say that. He lived for years, uh, for a time in Juarez, Mexico, the same area where Anapra is, just across the border. 
Manning says this, Brendan Manning says, where little children and old men and women scavenged from food for food from a mound of refuse 30 feet tall. It's a dump in Juarez. A dump of a town with a dump. Manning says several children died each week because of malnutrition and polluted water. Manning writes, at a fancy fundraiser where he was speaker, someone slipped an envelope into his coat pocket and he didn't think anything about it until he got back to his room and then he took out the envelope and inside was a check for $6,000 that a man had given him. Manning didn't need the money, so he sent it to a man he knows that lives at the dump in Juarez, Mexico. $6,000. Manning says, do you know what the man did who received the check? Manny says, he wrote me nine letters in two days, gushing and overflowing with thank you and gratitude for the $6,000. He says, not only am I helping my own family, I'm helping everybody around the dump with the money. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, in good classic Brendan Manning's fashion, in his pithy, to the point, you know, ex-alcoholic sort of attitude, black and white, He then follows up the story with this pithy comment. Manning contrasts the grateful man with the typical man of the world. Manning, classic case. Man in restaurant orders crab meat salad. Mistakenly, waitress brings shrimp salad. Livid, angry man roars, where the hell's my crab meat salad? Somehow, life owes him a crab meat salad. You know something to chew on for Lent? Then try gratitude. Try sedeka. Try full sedeka. Correct. Morally correct. Justice. Charity. Now you look like Jesus. You sound like Jesus. You sound like the Torah. You sound like the rabbis. You sound like the real thing. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand gives. No trumpets, no fanfare. Just this. I thought you might need it. I don't know where it came from. That's Sedeca. Back to Psalm 85. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground. And righteousness will look down from the sky. Faithfulness like that crop that we've all planted our loyalty to God and the love coming down both of them mixed together and the love of God and the faithful loyalty rushing together into a brace and out comes charity and shalom that's the world we're after and it all happens because of us Let me show you some videos. And we will end with this benediction. We're going to take it straight from the Sermon on the Mount. From Rabbi Jesus. That's right. And I gave it to you on this piece of paper because it's sort of long. 
And on the piece of paper, there's a bold part, and that's your part. So we're going to do it responsibly. You've got the bold part. I think it's on the screen as well, and it's bold up there. So let's do this thing together. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for tzedakah. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for Sadeka's sake. You're the salt of the earth. It's no longer good for anything. You're the light of the world. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket. In the same way, so that they may see your good works. Amen. Go in peace, everyone.